listening to First Church Charlotte. All across the house, would you lift your hands? Would you lift your heart heavenward? Lord Jesus, would you speak to us in this house, oh God? We feel your presence here. We have worshiped, we have sang, and now we step into that important moment of looking into your word and allowing it to speak into our life. Minister to your people here today. Let the person who is struggling with difficulty in their way, let them find spiritual peace here today. The individual who is sick in their body, let them have a testimony of divine healing today. The relationship that is seemingly damaged beyond repair, let there be a gift of healing place today. And can the church say in Jesus' name? One more time, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We bless you, O God. Jeremiah chapter number 31, we will read at verse number 13. If you would like to follow along with the notes I'm preaching from today at the website, you just, firstchurchclt.com, just click the sermon notes card and you will have the notes I am preaching from today and a place where you can type in your own notes and say things like, man, that preacher sure is good. If you'd like to tap that, type that in there somewhere, oh my goodness, someone didn't give Sister Elms the microphone today, it's a true tragedy, type that in your notes. Also, we have women ushers now. Put that in your notes. Excited about that. First time today. We just had a meeting. How do we get more money? And it just have women collected. They'll be like, um, <clears throat> put some more in there. <laughs> Having fun. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verse number 13. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance and the old men, the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning to joy will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. I want to read this passage one more time and I'm going to read it in the New Living Bible. I read the New Living Bible for my personal devotion and I'm going to read it to you and just listen to the words. Uh, I just, I love the image. The young women will dance for joy. And the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. The priests will enjoy abundance, and my people will feast on my good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. Isn't that a wonderful passage of Scripture? I claim it in my life. I claim it in your life. I believe God has great things for you. I want to speak life over you. I want to speak the name of Jesus over you. I want to see you able to prosper in Egypt and be wealthy coming out of Egypt, but know in your heart that Egypt is not where your happiness lies. I claim that for all of you in Jesus' name. My title today, my subject today is From Morning to Joy. From Morning to Joy. Shake one person's hand and say, you need this today, so no sleeping in church. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I 
Once upon a time, there was a princess and a man with a promise. His name was Abraham. Her name was Sarah. They had divine covenant given to them. They were people of divine blessing. They had perceived the presence of God in their life, and they had opened their hearts to the presence of God. This is a tremendous blessing. It's possible to live our lives and not perceive the presence of God in our lives. It's possible to fill our lives with shallow things and live a life that's miles wide and inches deep and never perceive the presence of God. The greatest gift that can be given to any of you is for you to have a sense of the presence of God in your life. Because if you do that, you will be thusly challenged to open your heart to the presence of God. Abraham was not the first person God had dealt with. But he was, in his own way, perhaps the most important of his generation. Because he heard the voice of the Lord and he listened. He stopped, he paused, he considered. And God was able to speak to him in a personal way. I want to remind all of you of something we preach a lot here at First Church. Our God is a relational God. It's not enough to believe that he is. You have to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, there has to be a point to us coming together and directing our hearts heavenward. There has to be a point to us standing in his presence and seeking him. You have to believe that he rewards those that diligently seek him. Can I have a big amen? amen? I want you to see that God is a relational God. And although Abraham had no scripture, he even so received a promise. He received a promise in the form of a divine covenant. He was gifted by God. He was promised by God. He had the presence of God with him, and there was so much he did not know. He had to hold on to what he did know in the face of all the many things he did not know. I want to say that again, and I want you to apply it in your life. Let me apply it to you. There's many things you do not know, nor will you know. And you have to choose to hold on to what it is you do know in the face of all the things you will not know. This is what the journey of faith looks like. And for Abraham, he has any number of things he does not know. Interestingly, he doesn't even have a title for God. And years pass, years where he offers sacrifice and he doesn't even have a mode of address for the Lord. He has no title for the Lord. It's not until he meets Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, that when Abraham comes out of that meeting with Melchizedek, he announces to the four kings who have come to pay him court, this is Bible history, and he says, I have made a covenant with the Most High God. He now has a reference point. He has something to call God. He's not just a voice. It's not just an indefinable feeling in his life. He has met the priest of the Most High God. He has entered into covenant with the Most High God, and he announces himself as a man of the most high God. We are so much more blessed in this regard. Our God has a name. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music to my ear, the sweetest name on earth. 
Jesus, Jesus, oh, how I love that name. We know who he is. He has revealed himself. The angel stepped up upon the sky and said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Abraham is walking with God, and he is the recipient of promise, but there is a sad acknowledgement that both he and his wife Sarah must face, and that is this. They are not simply people of promise. They are broken people of promise. They are broken people of promise. They are, stay with me, incapable. They are incapable of producing the very thing God said they will produce. Do you see the absurdity of this? Do you see the difficulty that would come to anybody who is prophesied something that seems to mock them? It seems to be an impossible standard to live by. It is as though someone says, uh, you shall, you shall, uh, you shall run fast, and you can't run fast. The Lord says, behold, you shall go far, and you can't even walk across the room. It's as though the promise itself mocks you. And people, especially the unbeliever, especially the cynic, is daily, they are daily invited to mock you and to laugh at you. To you, their laughter feels like mourning. This is an image that is so fundamental. It is essential that we understand this image, all of us seeking to be people of promise. Because here is a truth that you need to get or you're going to misunderstand what it means to be people of faith. Here's, here's the truth. Yes, you are an individual of promise, but you're also broken. And you are incapable in your flesh of producing a promise that can only be birthed in a spiritual way. We live this day after day after day. God will not call you many times to the arena of your strengths. He will call you to an arena where you feel like you are uniquely unfitted. He won't put someone in your life that you feel like you naturally have an advantage in reaching. He will challenge you with somebody who you feel like, I don't really know where to start. And he'll say, this is where you can be used of God. God is not in the business of actualizing human effort. He is in the business of using human effort to introduce the kingdom of God here on earth. In other words, I am glad you are talented, but you have no idea what God could do through your talents. The half has not been told. We are all of us broken people, just as, just as Sarah. She must have felt absurd in her daily life because she's supposed to be uh, this this part of this promise and they're, they're going to have many children and, and her name means princess and she's like a princess without an heir. It is almost as though God is playing a trick on her. Fate is mocking her and it's worse for Abraham because his name literally means father of many, father of many nations and he, he walks around 
around every day, his identity found in a promise. I, I want you so much to see this. This is, they, they lived this life so we might learn spiritual truths by reading the story. Do, do you understand? They lived it so we might learn by it every day. In their ordinary life, they are calling to each other and their identity is a promise that their life cannot fulfill. Every time they're getting ready to go on a trip, Sarah calls to Abraham, Father of many nations, have you packed your bags yet? And here's the reality. He doesn't have a single child. His identity is promise. His reality is pain. His identity is covenant. His reality is failure. His identity is what God said he would do. His reality is nothing's happening right now. This is what it means to walk as people of faith, separated between what God has ordained us to do and the reality of our brokenness. And if we cannot live in the tension between where we are and where God says we will be, and we cannot deny the eyes of the flesh and choose the promises of the spirit, then we will fail at faith because the act of faith is holding on to promise in the face of brokenness. If you try to do anything for God, one thing that you will do is you will quickly come to the end of yourself. You will quickly fill your own, your own failures, your own abilities. I, as a pastor, went through a season where I thought that I pretty much had a plan and I was going to work that plan. And the Lord began the process of breaking my plan down until what was left was me pretty much in a prayer closet saying, Lord, I don't know how to go in. I don't know how to come out. I need you to fight my battles. And I have talked to so many other of my pastor friends and my mentors in my life in this same process is repetitive. And it's not just our testimony. It's a biblical theme that over and over, you come to God, you think you know how you're going to do it. Moses loses his temper, kills one of the overseers because that was his plan. Doesn't work and he flees for his life. And the Lord lets him sit 40 years in the backside of Midian in the wilderness, seemingly forgotten. Understanding this truth, I I can't do it. I've got to let God do it. This reality, this tension in our life between promise and brokenness. Uh, this is what I know about you. Now, there is a chance that you are an exception to this rule. We, none of us, are really uh, cookies from the cookie cutter. We, all of us, truthfully, are each individual and different in our own ways. But this is probably true about you. Um, you, perhaps, at some point of your maturity, you come to a sense of your own abilities and what you can and cannot do. And you become aware, even if you don't really advertise it, of your own brokenness. And that reality serves to preclude you from trying to do great things for God because you know the places where you are broken. And you think that if only you weren't broken there, you could be so powerful for God. Well, I'm preaching to somebody here today. I hope you're not just daydreaming through this. I'm preaching to you right now. You survey your brokenness and you say, if I has not been broken in this way, then boy, I could really do something for God. If I didn't have this hang up, I could really accomplish something for God. If I didn't have this limitation, man, you would not, you would not. And they're always telling you why they are excluded from the promise. And they're always settling for something less. I love the story about the, 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 the guy who, he was real small and his best friend was real big. And they were just, a, uh, just like a little guy and a big guy. And every day, this little guy would go see his big 
muscle-bound friend, he'd say, man, if I was as big as you, I'd go out in them there woods and I'd find the biggest bear and I'd get me a switch and I'd just give that big bear a switching. Well, first time he said it, it was funny. Second time he said it, after a while, it just it wasn't quite as funny anymore. And the guy was like, this is get His little friend said, man, if I was as big as you, I'd go out in their woods. I'd find the biggest bear and I'd put a whooping on him if I was as big as you. And finally, the guy looked at his little friend and he said, now, wait a minute. I just want you to know there's some little bears out there, too. <laughs> We find reasons why we can't do it, why we, if we weren't broken in this way, then God could use us. If we weren't broken in that way, then we would be a great small group leader. If I wasn't broken in that way, I'd be a great home Bible study teacher. If I wasn't broken there, I would be confident to pray for someone in the altar. If I wasn't broken here, I would be confident to let the gifts of the Spirit that I feel stirring in my heart as deep calls unto deep, I would be confident to speak to someone and say, I believe the Lord. Lord wants you to know this, but because I'm broken like this and I'm broken like that and I'm broken like this and I'm broken like that, I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm not going to open my heart. I'm not going to open my Bible. I'm not going to take a step. I'm not going to make myself fragile through exposure. Instead, I'm going to hide myself from pain because I know how I am broken. What if brokenness was the reason why God had chose you? And the reason, and the reason you're using not to do, you're, you're saying I'm not going to do something because I'm broken like this. God said I'm looking for somebody that is broken in that particular way because I have a work for them to do. What if your brokenness was part of the story, not a reason for you not to tell the story? You've got to see this in the story of Abraham and Isaac and uh, Jacob. I, I want to show you something here. Uh, I'm going to very quickly give you a survey of barrenness in the Bible because this is a theme that you will see repeated over and over. I just want to pause right now. Lord, I feel your spirit so powerfully in this house. I feel you reaching for someone today, awakening hunger, awakening zeal in someone today. Would you touch every heart that beats on these pews, Lord? Don't let us shrug it away, but let us be stirred in our heart. And can the church say amen? Barrenness in the Bible is a teaching theme that is revisited uh, repeatedly. The first woman that is told as part of her story is who we're reading about, Sarah, the wife of Abraham. The second child, childless woman mentioned in Scripture is uh, Rebecca. Uh, she is the uh, wife of Isaac. Remember, Abraham married Sarah, and Sarah is barren. Isaac married uh, Rebecca and uh, excuse yes and Rebecca is barren the third barren wife was Rachel who's the third patriarch Jacob she was the third barren wife three patriarchs in a row and all of them are given barren wives it almost as though the, as though the Lord would like you to understand something about what can and cannot be birthed in the kingdom of God it's almost as though heaven would like to make a point for you to see. You can't accomplish the call, the anointing, the mission of the Spirit through the efforts of the flesh. You need God to make you fruitful. 
I'm going to try the same thing over here. You need God to make you fruitful. God has many souls in this city. You need God to make you fruitful. God has hurting people in every neighborhood. You need God to make you fruitful. Hear me. The Lord tells us to pray for the laborers, not the harvest. We do it backwards. There's no problem with the harvest. There's brokenness everywhere. It's the laborers who need to be awakened to the fact that God will make them fruitful. Somebody say, I want to be fruitful, O Lord. And so here you see barrenness in the scripture. You see it as a, as a consistent uh, uh, theme that is shown to you in the scripture. The fourth woman in scripture is Samson's mother who was miraculously healed of, of her barrenness. And she bore a son to become uh, the strongest man who ever lived and a judge of Israel. The fifth barren woman in scripture is the wife of Elkanah, the Ephraimite, mother of the prophet Samson. Samuel, she prayed and asked that the Lord would give her a child, and the Lord gave her a child. And so the sixth barren woman in the scripture is the wife of David, that greatest king of Israel. And of course, all of this is in your notes if, you, if you're uh, downloading the notes. And of course, the seventh of seven biblically barren women is Elizabeth, the wife of Zacharias. She was barren, but in her old age, God gave her a son by the name of John the Baptist. Seven pictures of barrenness. It's no accident that we're given seven. Scripturally seven is a number of completion. And so whenever you see seven uh, you see a completion in terms of a spiritual theme. Seven women each barren. But I want you to particularly note that the three patriarchs all are given wives who cannot have children. This is not an accident. This is insight into this reality. If we're going to be used of God it can only be born of the spirit it's not going to happen through the efforts of our flesh and like Abraham like Isaac like Jacob and like their wives we face this reality we are given promise we are given covenant we are given call we are given mission the spirit moves in our life and awakens us to see the needs that are before us we are asked to see a harvest field that is all around us. But we look at our lives and we acknowledge that although we have a promise, we also are people who are broken and unable to fulfill what God has called us to do. But he does not leave us in our brokenness. His promise to us is transformation from mourning to joy. His promise to us is elevation from barrenness to fruitfulness. This is the story of a journey of faith. Serving God is not about labels, although you might be labeled. Serving God is not even about being a formal member of a, uh, a body of, of believers, although it is biblical for us to be a member of bo- a body of believers. It's not even about uh, the type of music you listen to, although you will change the kinds of music you listen to. What it really is about is the divine relationship with God, where by brokenness is made to fruitfulness. This is really a nutshell. This is why the image is repeated at the very outset of this story of faith. 
from brokenness to fruitfulness, from mourning to joy, from brokenness to fruitfulness, from mourning to joy. You will know that God is progressing his perfect plan in your life as you feel yourself move from barrenness to fruitfulness and from mourning to joy. I believe it is the will of God that some of us who have settled for coping with our pain, we're going to discover what it's like to be transformed from mourning to joy. I wonder if there's anybody here today who your testimony is one of transformation. Your testimony. Where's my people who have been delivered here today? Do I have any delivered people? Let the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord. God didn't leave you where he found you. Some of you came to God and you were bound in sin. You were bound in addiction. And look at you now. You're not perfect, but God has, has you on a journey from barrenness to fruitfulness. You see, barrenness to Sarah, to uh, all of these women in the scripture, it is, it is perceived by others as a curse in their life. Now, the truth is, um, there, uh, it is, I guess, by the terms of the people in their life, their peers, it is a curse. But I want you to see they are living something that we might learn. I want to say that again. They are living something that we might learn. And this is, as a result, a picture of teaching scripturally. And we are invited, we are invited to see the spiritual in the story of the lives of these individuals. So Sarah, imagine the difficulty of her life. And she, she, she feels as though it's basically a joke what she has been given because uh, she's been promised this and uh, she's a part of, of, of the story and God put her and Abraham together and the Lord has been with them and the Lord has blessed them, but the Lord hasn't given them what he said he would give them. The Lord hasn't completed what he said we, he would give them. And so it is in our lives. If you have a sense of awakening and you have a sense of anointing in your life, you will perhaps perceive a, 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 a call, a mission, a duty, a work that is beyond where you are now. And it seems as though that door is the one that will not open. It seems as though that victory is the one you cannot win. In the meantime, God is doing other things for you. When they're in Egypt, Abraham and Sarah is in Egypt. God protects them in Egypt. God blesses them in Egypt. They come out of Egypt very wealthy from the blessings of the Pharaoh. But nothing can make them happy except the fulfillment of God's promise in their life. And Sarah undoubtedly begins to believe that this all in some way, this all in some way is just a it's it's a cruel trick and so she decides to do it by her efforts maybe she thinks god would like her to to uh just come up with her own plan. And so according to the style of the times, they, they try surrogacy, which there are still societies that use surrogacy. Uh, we use surrogacy in our style. We just have technological advantages that they did not have. It was very common and it worked well for both parties because the person, the family, the couple who was uh, using surrogacy, um, they oftentimes were wealthy and the adopted son would not have their wealth and by being adopted, yes, 
they would become part of the family, but they would receive the inheritance of that family. So it worked well in ancient times. And uh, Sarah tries this. And like all of our solutions to our own problem, they don't produce God's plan for us. They tr produce more of what we already are experiencing. More frustration, more brokenness, more pain, more mockery, more laughter, more of a sense that the joke is on us. And I want you to see how God has given the promise to broken people. And their brokenness is not an accident. It is part of the story. I've come today to take away all of your excuses your brokenness is part of the story. Your pain is part of the story. God will use it. And when he's done, it will be beautiful because he makes all things beautiful. I've come to preach hope here today to somebody who doesn't have much hope in your life. I've come to tell you that God has seen your tears. And I've come to tell you that he has walked with you through lonely places and you are not alone. You feel alone, but you have lived long enough to know your feelings often lie to you. You are not alone. This is is not the end. Will you let me preach some hope to you here today? This is not the end. This is just a setback along the way. The brokenness of your past that you are struggling to overcome doesn't preclude you from being used of God. It doesn't exclude you from being used of God. It is part of the story whereby his name is exalted and your story proves this point to all who see it as you live it before the Lord. God gives promises to broken people. And so one day after the years have passed and Sarah is quite old, she's in her 80s and Abraham is in his 90s. Abraham's sitting out under a tree one day doing what 99-year-old men do, which is not much of nothing. And he's sitting there waiting and perhaps thinking and taking little cat naps. I'm not 90 years old, but I've discovered the joy of cat naps. <laughs> Somebody got a blessing right there. That's all it took right there. I'm almost done, musicians. You can come. And so Abraham's sitting under this tree, and he's thinking, and quite to his surprise, three strangers show up. Now, Abraham is a good host, and in the manner of the time, and in the manner of hosting in the time, he immediately takes them as his responsibility for care. He jumps up. He offers them a place to rest. He slips into the tent. And he tells Sarah that we have guests if she would prepare a meal. And so Sarah begins to prepare a, a meal for them. And it wasn't customary for Sarah to stay in the tent while they ate. She would have, she would have prepared a meal. And then she would have went to uh, either another tent that she would, was hers or she would have gone, uh, she would have gone out to some other part of the area they were camped. And so here they are, and these three strangers have come, and uh, we pick up the story in Genesis chapter number 18. And these three strangers are there. And uh, after they come in the house and they begin to eat, this stranger says to, one of the strangers says to uh, Abraham, uh, where is Sarah, your wife? Now, perhaps Abraham responds before he thinks about it. He says, oh, she's in the tent. And the words just slip out of his mouth. And maybe he thought it was a little bit strange that these men knew about Sarah, his wife. He hadn't introduced them to Sarah. Uh, Sarah hadn't been in the tent with them. How would they know that his wife's name was Sarah? How did you know? 
how did you know? Now, this is the moment when Abraham wakes up. Abraham, among his many flaws, had one great redeeming element, and that is he was quite good at noticing the presence of the Lord and quite good at hearing the voice of the Lord. So in one moment, he understands everything has changed. It clicks. The Lord is in his midst. And the Lord says to him this, I will return in about a year's time, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, this almost could be almost a bit of a cruel joke, and Sarah certainly takes it that way. Sarah has been laughed at for years, a promise given to a broken woman. She's endured the criticism of people who were only had ill will toward her, She's endured the mockery of servants, neighbors. And at this moment, it almost seems like a cruel joke to hear this man say, I'm coming back in a year as if we haven't waited long enough. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was doing what any woman would do left to her own devices. She's at the door eavesdropping. If you, t- if you tell your wife she can't come in the room, honey, she wants to know what's going on. Now, if you, don't, if you want her not to care about what's going on in the room, invite her to sit in there with you. Then she'll go do her own thing. But the moment you tell her she can't be in the room, she's like, what's going on up in here? You don't, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I knows women's. I'm married to women's. And she's at the door Google stalking them. <laughs> and so... The Bible says they were old and the way of women had ceased with her, which is not difficult to figure out if you think about it. And when she hears what this stranger says, she laughs to herself. Now, what do you do when you buy yourself? You talk to yourself. You know you do. Don't act like you're sane. We all know you're crazy as a bat. And uh, she talks to herself. And she just, when she hears this, she just busts out laughing. Uh, You know, it's almost like she says, oh, after all this, (laughs) you know. After I'm given the best years of my life, <laughs> after I'm old and tired, now I'm going to bear a child. Now, after my husband. That is a good joke. And she laughs out loud. And the Lord says, I want you guys to see this. this is a, the, the reason they lived the story is so you can read it and understand the difference between the things of this world and the promises of God and how broken people fulfill the promises of God. That's why they lived the story. She says, this, 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 this is just funny. And the Lord speaks to Abraham, knowing that Sarah has laughed and says, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed be? bear a child now that I am old? Now the Lord is going to tell them what they should be saying when they are in the the face of faith. When they need faith. When they are trying to live between the reality of their brokenness and the sheer power of the promise. What do we say when we are living in brokenness and on the horizon is the promise of God? What do we say? This is what you say. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What 
should you be saying when you hold in one hand the brokenness of your limits and in the other hand you feel the, the, the power, the unction of the promise of God? What do you say when you face the difference, the, 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 the chasm, the void between your brokenness and God's promise? This is what you say. You survey your broken pieces. You consider your tragic past. You survey the hurt that is in your heart. But before you give up, before you say, God can't use me. Man, I feel the presence of the Lord in this house right now. Before you say, God can't use me. Before you say, there's no work for me to do. Before you say, I'm all done and closed for business. You say this. Is anything too hard for God? I'm here to tell you, before you stop praying for that loved one who's not serving God today, you need to say within your heart, is anything too hard for God? Before you give up on a family that has fought you every step of your faith journey, before you give up on that family, you need to say, is anything too hard for God? Before you give up on what is next in your divine mission, you need to stand up and say, is anything too hard for God? here to tell you. I'm here to tell the ages. And I guess if there's any devils in the house, I'll tell them to. No, nothing is too hard for God. God can do just what he said he would do. There's nothing too hard for God. He's going to do just what he said he would do. So, Two minutes. You may be seated. Two minutes. Honestly, two minutes. Yes, Sarah laughed. But a year later, a little baby boy's crying in her arms. And she's trying to decide what to name him. What shall we name this child of promise? My whole life I've lived in the tension between my limits and God's promise. My whole life I've lived in the tension of my brokenness and God's ability. I've lived in the tension of what I am unworthy of and what he has asked me to do. My whole life I've lived this journey of faith. My whole life I've lived in the tension between these two things. And now I'm holding in my arms the son of promise. What shall I name him? What shall we name the son of promise? What indeed shall we name the son of promise? This will be a, a part of the lineage of Christ. This will be Isaac. This will be Isaac father of Jacob, grandfather of the twelve tribes of Israel. And his name will be Isaac. And his name will mean he will laugh. Because God is in the business of turning mourning into joy. I said God's in the business of turning mourning into joy. First, they laugh at you. Then they laugh with you. And then you laugh at them. First you laugh at me, then you laugh with me, and then I laugh at you. Now, the son of promise always gets the last laugh. Did y'all hear what I just said? The son of promise gets this last laugh. Well, who is our son of promise? Jesus. So hell was not impressed with Jesus. Hell thought this was a joke. And 
they just thought about a disadvantages. I mean, a virgin birth, it's so easy to destroy his reputation by saying he's the son of an illicit affair. And then he's from Nazareth, and it's so easy to destroy his influence by saying he's a son of Nazareth. Surely, we're just not impressed. They're so unimpressed with Jesus that they decide they'll just kill him and move on to the next prophet. And so they do. But here's the thing about the son of promise. He gets the last laugh. And so three days later, after hell killed him, Jesus walked out of the tomb. Because God always gets the last laugh. Son of promise will always get the last laugh. Let's stand all across the house. I don't know what you've lived through and I don't know what you face, but this is what I speak to you in the spirit here today. Are you listening? Are you listening? This is what I speak to you today in the spirit. God's in the business of taking broken people and giving them a promise that is so great it stretches them. And they must be people of faith to reconcile who they are and what God says he wants to do through them. And faith will stretch them. It sometimes will be painful. It often will be awkward. But God's in the business of taking broken people and giving them such a big promise that they feel pulled between the tension of who they are and who God says they are. But if those people will look in the face of their awkwardness and the limits of their circumstance and they will continually ask themselves this question is anything too hard for God I know it sounds crazy but is anything too hard for God I know people laugh but is anything too hard for God then you have to answer in this way no nothing is too hard for God I know not how and I know not when but is anything too hard for God no nothing is too hard for God I speak this promise into your life there's nothing too hard for God. Can you find your faith and celebrate who he is and how he works among us broken people? Can you celebrate not just promise, but can you accept that he puts promise in the hands of brokenness? If you can do that, you're ready to be a person of faith and you're ready to be led by God. I feel the I feel the Lord here right now and I feel like somebody needs to respond to this and you need to bring every broken piece you have to God and you need to say, here I am, Lord. I'm giving it to you. I know not how you're going to do it, but there's nothing too hard for you. Would you step out of the chair you're in right now and you would you begin to make your way toward this front as we come together, all of our guests and friends, I want you to feel free to come with us. We won't embarrass you in any way. This is how we end our services, by an intentional moment of being spiritually vulnerable and an intentional moment of presenting our hearts before the Lord. Our worship team is going to lead us and all across this house we're going to lift our voice, we're going to focus our mind, and we're going to give God our broken pieces that he might finish what he started in us. Would you right now all across the house direct your attention heavenward in Jesus name. I'm praying that your unction would move among your people oh God. I'm praying that you would begin to stir us. I'm praying that we would respond according to your will. Oh, don't let us hide our hearts here today. Don't let us hide in the shadows of our of our lives. But let us take a step of spiritual consequence today. Let us reach out beyond our comfort. Let us extend ourselves beyond what we feel is normal. And let us be people not just of brokenness, but people of promise. We are all of us broken people of promise. We all of us walk this road of spiritual becoming. Would you lead us, Lord Jesus? 
would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us? Would you let the unction of the Holy Ghost move in this house today? Would you draw us close by your promise in Jesus' name? Would you lift your hands all across the house? Would you call upon the name of the Lord? Some of our staff will be moving among you, praying for you. If you have a need here, I believe the Lord could meet your need here. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.